a man is walking uh, down the beach and comes across an old bottle. He picks it up, pulls out the cork, and out pops the genie. Uh, you thought I was reading from the Bible anyway. The genie says, thank you for freeing me from the bottle. In return, I will grant you three wishes. The man said, great, I've always dreamed of this, and I know exactly what I want. First, I want $1 billion in a Swiss bank account. And poof, there in a flash of light, a piece of paper with account numbers appeared in his hand. He continues, next, I want a brand new red Ferrari right here. And poof, there is another flash of light, and a bread ripe brand new Ferrari appears right next to him. He continues, finally, I want to be irresistible to women. Poof, there's a flash of light, and he turns into a box of chocolates. <laughs> oh, it's good, isn't it? I want to speak about how Jesus taught us to experience life this morning. If you want to know what life is, that, that question that, that plagues society, if you know what the meaning to life is, if you want to experience life to the full this morning... That's what I'm talking about, okay? If you would like to turn in your Bibles to Luke 12, I know I was here two weeks ago, um, but I took a little detour, I went somewhere else. Luke 12, verse 13. That's working, brilliant. I'm reading from my NLT, which is not a modern NLT, so if you've got an NLT, it might not read the same. Uh, But verse 13 says this, Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell me my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And I went into that two weeks ago. Then he said, Beware, don't be greedy for what you don't have. Real life is not measured by how much we own. And then Jesus gave an illustration. What is the illustration about? The illustration is about beware of being greedy and the second thing, which I said right at the start, how to live life to the full, how to get the most out of life. And so Jesus tells this story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. In fact, his barns were full to overflowing. So he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store everything. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get it all? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I get to verse Well, before I get to verse 20, and I read about this guy, and I'm thinking, hey, he's doing pretty well for him. You know, entrepreneur, he's seen a gap in the market, he's worked hard, he's earned his break, he's earned his his riches, he's earned a, a holiday. And then verse 20 kind of tells us he's done something wrong, and I'm going, well, I could probably look a bit closer, but has he really done something that was that bad? I mean, what's the difference between this guy and someone who's, lo- who's worked hard all their life and is looking forward to enjoying retirement? Now, maybe that's not what your experience because you're thinking, how am I going to afford my retirement? I'm going to be working until I'm 85. But maybe you can identify with this one. 
you're looking forward to that holiday you deserve because you've worked so hard this year. Or maybe you've been walking down the street and you've seen in a shop window a pair of boots or a new iPhone or you want a new car or you're, you're deciding to get a new house and going to work really hard and save to get that new house and then you know that will be the life. I've deserved it. I've earned it. It's my hard work which has gone into this. How is that different? Now, don't all shout out an answer because I don't really want one. But how, how is that different? I'm looking at this and going, wait a minute, I think it's right to work hard and then enjoy the fruit of my labor. Work hard, play hard. That's what I like. I like to you know, sit there on a the beach with, with, you know, with a drink and having some nice food and, and, and think, oh, I've worked hard. I really deserve this loving in the sun you know, and taking a break. And... Is that really wrong? Well, to unpack this, I want us to have a look a bit about our society because our society is a society which is driven by greed and selfishness. What is this story about? It's about greed and selfishness. And the problem with greed and selfishness is very hard to see it upon yourself. You justify greed and selfishness upon yourself. It's just human nature. See, our, our society has people who quote things like this. I just did a Google search. And they think it's right. Oliver Stone, greed for lack of a better word is good. Greed is right. Greed works. That's the kind of society that we're in. I don't know who this Rebecca Blank is, but I thought the quote was just summed up our, our, our commerce. Greed is good to most economics. It's greed that makes people work harder, be more productive, and helps the economy grow. And then the beloved Trump, the point is that you can't be too greedy. He's saying that, saying, hey, this is good. But then he does say some odd things. Um, and then we'll move on to the next one. Now, this is one I do like from John Foreman of Switchfoot. It says this, greed, envy, sloth, pride, and gluttony. These are not vices anymore. No, these are marketing tools. Lust is our way of life. Envy is just a nudge towards another sale. Even in our relationships, we consume each other. Each of us looking for what we can get out of the other. Our appetites are often satisfied at the expense of those around us. I think he's hit the nail on the head there. See, now I've been looking at adverts recently, and it's like, buy this new car. You deserve it. I think that's what, this, what Jesus is talking about here. Get this. You deserve it. Get that new iPhone. You've worked hard. You deserve it. Let me, I, I, as I was looking through this and, and having a study on this, I came across a video, a TED Talk, which I think may give us a bit of insight into preconceptions which are drilled into our society, our Western society, which may open your eyes a bit to what greed is. Let's go for it. I want you to, for a moment, think about playing a game of Monopoly. Except in this game, that combination of skill, talent, and luck that help earn you success in games as in life has been rendered irrelevant because this game's been rigged and you've got the upper hand. You've got more money, 
more opportunities to move around the board, and more access to resources. And as you think about that experience, I want you to ask yourself, how might that experience of being a privileged player in a rigged game change the way that you think about yourself and regard that other player? So we ran a study on the UC Berkeley campus to look at exactly that question. We brought in more than 100 pairs of strangers into the lab, and with the flip of a coin, randomly assigned one of the two to be a rich player in a rigged game. They got two times as much money. When they passed go, they collected twice the salary, and they got to roll both dice instead of one, so they got to move around the board a lot more. <laughs> and over the course of 15 minutes, we watched through hidden cameras what happened. And what I want to do today for the first time is show you a little bit of what we saw. You're gonna to have to pardon the sound quality in some cases because again, these were hidden cameras. So we've provided subtitles. How many 500s did you have? Just one. Are you serious? Yeah. I have three. <laughs> I don't know why they gave me so much. Okay, so it was quickly apparent to players that something was up. One person clearly has a lot more money than the other person. And yet, as the game unfolded, we saw very notable differences and dramatic differences begin to emerge between the two players. The rich player started to move around the board louder, literally smacking the board with their piece as he went around. We were more likely to see signs of dominance and nonverbal signs of display, uh, displays of power and celebration among the rich players. All right, we had a bowl of pretzels positioned off to the side. It's on the bottom right corner there. That, that allowed us to watch participants' consumatory behavior. So we're just tracking how many pretzels participants eat. Are those pretzels a trick? I don't know. <laughs> OK, so no surprises. People are on to us. They wonder what that bowl of pretzels is doing there in the first place. One even asks, like you just saw, is that bowl of pretzels there as a trick? And yet, despite that, the power of the situation seems to inevitably dominate. And those rich players start to eat more pretzels. And as the game went on, one of the really interesting and dramatic patterns that we observed begin to emerge was that the rich players actually started to become ruder toward the other person. Less and less sensitive to the plight of those poor, poor players, and more and more demonstrative of their material success. More likely to showcase how well they're doing. Money. <laughs> money for everything. Excuse me. You owe me $24 before. <laughs> I don't buy it. I mean, I have so much money. I have so much money to take me for her. I'm going to buy out <laughs> this whole board. You're going to run out of money soon. Well, You're pretty much untouchable at this point. <laughs> okay. And here's what I think was really, really interesting. Is that at the end of the 15 minutes, we asked the players to talk about their experience during the game. And when the rich players talked about why they'd inevitably won in this rigged game of Monopoly, <laughs> they talked about what they'd done to buy those different properties and earn their success in the game. And they became far less attuned 
to all those different features of the situation, including that flip of a coin that had randomly gotten them into that privileged position in the first place. And that's a really, really incredible insight into how the mind makes sense of advantage. He, he goes on, and uh, I know that was just a game of Monopoly, and it was a game, but he then goes on to show real-life examples of how when you are privileged and you have lots of money or lots of wealth, the way the brain works is to tell you that you're entitled it, entitled to it, so it gets away from how come I've got more than that person? Because I'm entitled to it, because I deserve it, because I earned it. Yet even in that game where the player, by a flick of a dice, has twice as much money, two dice rather than one, and gets twice as much when they go past go, has the audacity to celebrate how amazing they were for winning a rig game. About what, as, as the guy said, it was about what they had done to win a rigged game. They'd have to be completely fools to lose that game of Monopoly. But it's the way our brain works with it. If you go back to, with me to Luke 12 and verse 16, this is one of the key verses I see in here. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. A rich man had a fertile farm that provided rich crops. How did the guy make a whole load of money or a whole load of crops? He had a fertile land. He was lucky. He was blessed. He was favored. How was he able to build more barns? Because he was rich. He was favored. He was blessed. He never thanked God for the fertile land. He never thanked God that he had the money to do it. He never thanked God that he had the breath and the strength and the health. Where did the land come from in the first place? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When I showed this to Anna, my daughter, who was nine this week, First of all, she was a bit shocked that this guy died because of what he'd done. And after we got over that kind of shock and talked around a bit, I asked her, so how was this guy greedy? And she, came, she just said this phrase, which I thought was brilliant. He never thanked God for the rain. Wow. Come on. Never thanked God for the rain. What is happening in this story? The rich man is saying, I did it all, and so I'm going to enjoy it all. I deserve it all. And yet God is there who created the land, who created the seeds, who created the sun, who created the rain, who created his body, who gave him strength and health and put life within his body so that he was able to go and, and create wealth and he didn't thank God for it wow. once. And so God is here is going, how come you're not recognizing all the help I gave you? Okay, I tell you what, I'm going to stop helping you. Now try and do that when you've got no life in you. Because we live and have our being in him. We live only because he made us. It is all, we can only do what we do because there is a God on the throne who made us. We need to be thankful for everything. So it's not, I don't believe it's wrong to have lots of crops and have a great business plan. I'll get into a bit more of that story in a bit. But we need to thank God for what he's done. 
what happens is we just think it's all about us. It's not. It's not about us at all. Um, Let me go on to what Jesus says about this. Um, So verse 22, then turning to his disciples. So Jesus is now going to explain the parable. So I tell you, don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or clothes to wear, for life consists of far more than clothing. And look at the ravens. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food into barns because God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Of course not. And if worry can do little things like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he more surely care for you? You have so little faith. The opposite of faith is not unbelief, it's worry. Verse 29, and don't worry about food, what to eat and drink. Don't worry whether God will provide it for you. And this verse, I love in this version, these things dominate the thoughts of most people. But your father already knows your needs. Verse 31, he will give you all you need from day to day if there's a condition, if you make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Or as another version say, seek first the kingdom and God will give you everything you've ever needed and ever wanted. You see, it's not that God doesn't want you to have things. He does. But he wants you to seek him and not seek things, not seek money, not seek that relationship, not seek that house, not seek that job, not seek that iPhone, not seek anything worldly. Instead, seek the kingdom and you will have all that you need. And that is what gives you life. So this guy right at the start, he's there before Jesus, the King of Kings, the one who's going about his inheritance. And rather than asking Jesus for the Holy Spirit, rather than asking Jesus for heaven, rather than asking Jesus for any of the things that Jesus could have given him, he says, hey, Jesus, can you help me with some money? Jesus is going, wait a minute, beware about greed. You're on completely the wrong track. Seek first the kingdom of God, and I will take care of all your needs. Don't worry about it. Now, I don't know who this guy is, but I love his quote. Greed is a bottomless pit which exhausts a person in an endless effort to satisfy the need without ever reaching satisfaction. John Rockefeller, the richest man of his generation, and maybe be the richest man who's ever lived, was asked a question, how much is enough money? Now, this is a Christian guy, great guy. He replied, just a little more, just a little more, because what you're saying is this, if if you seek money, it will never be enough, you always want just a little bit more, if you think your life will be fulfilled when you have that house, I tell you it won't, because you just want a little bit more, another extension, a bit more of the carpets, a bit new furniture, it will never fully satisfy, if you think your life will be satisfied when you find that wife or that husband, you are putting undue pressure on that person because I'm telling you, they will never satisfy your needs. The only person who can satisfy your needs is God. 
And the reason why he can satisfy your needs is because he's endless. There is no end to him. You can keep seeking him and have a bigger appetite and a bigger appetite for him. And because he's infinite, he can keep just pouring into you. Because he's the first, the last, the everlasting. What is the opposite to greed? I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. Sir Fred Catherwood said this, greed is the logical result of the belief that there is no life after death. We grab what we can, while we can, however we can, and then hold on to it hard. I want this. I want that iPhone. I want that job. I want that car. I want that wife. And you hold it tight. And yet, what did Jesus say? If you try to hang on to your life, if you try to hang on to your money, if you try to hang on to that relationship, if you, try to, if you just pull things to you, you will lose it. But if you give your life for my sake, you will find life eternal. Or to put it into our modern language, you will find the meaning of life, life in abundance. You will never have any lack. You will never have any need. What? Not when you take, but when you give. When you give. So why don't we seek the kingdom first? So I carry on in Luke 13, verse 32. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. What is Jesus' first remark after saying, seek first the kingdom? God wants to give you the kingdom. God wants you happy. God wants to give to you. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. The reason we don't seek first the kingdom is because we don't believe that God is a rewarder. Otherwise, we would seek first the kingdom. We think, oh, I'll get my satisfaction in that TV program. I'll get my satisfaction in that, in that bit of money. I'll get my satisfaction in that bit of technology or that car or whatever it is. But Jesus says, no, seek God. Not only will he give you satisfaction, but he will give you all you need. And guess what? Even more than you need because he's a rewarder for those who seek him. Psalm 35, 27 says this, Let the Lord be magnified who delights and takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. See, this is God's heart towards us. He wants to prosper you. We don't like to give into uh, offerings and, and tithing and give to others. Why? Because we think we're going to lose out. But no, God loves to prosper. He loves to adorn his riches on you. If you could cope with it, he would give you a mansion. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel here. I'm just saying God loves it when you have stuff. You can be poor, you can be rich, and you can still be just as holy. I'm not saying it's, it's a measure of, of your holiness or your walk with God. What I'm saying is God loves to give good gifts to his children. Now, if you look at the Luke version of that, what it says, I, the Lord loves to give good gifts, the Holy Spirit, which is life itself. Again, what did the guy at the beginning of the story, which started this, he went for money, and there's Jesus who could give the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Everything, life itself. So how do we seek the kingdom first? I'm just going to give you a few quick indications. To give thanks. We've already said the rich man never gave thanks. 
Jesus would give thanks for the food at every mealtime. I was brought up in a house where it, we had to give thanks before every mealtime, apart from breakfast, because I had that on my own so I could get away with it. But during lunch and dinner, we had to give thanks. And some, some, sometimes I would love to give thanks. My mum makes an amazing quiche. I don't like many other quiches, but her quiche is absolutely fantastic. However, when she put a plate of liver and scoggy dumplings in front of me, I didn't really feel like giving thanks, to be honest with you wasn't thankful for that food in front of me at all. As I grew older and I got my own independence, I stopped giving thanks for my food. Why? Because I've got an abundance. I don't think I need it. It's not, I can just get food whenever I like. I owe my money. I can get food whenever I like. Just like the rich man. I've got so much food around me, I can say no to that meal. No, I'm not going to die. No, it's not really needed for me. I can just go to the supermarket and get something else. I struggle to give thanks for food because I see the abundance. If it's an amazing meal, oh, I can give thanks for it. But I struggle internally, I'm just being honest with you, to give thanks for a simple meal. However, I should give thanks anyway. I should give thanks anyway. The Bible says this, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So when you're on that beach, enjoying your holiday, give thanks. It's just a completely different way of thinking. Not that I'm entitled. It's all because of my hard work. Thank you, God, that you have given me the ability to have an amazing holiday. Thank you, God, that I can be blessed with this amazing house and this amazing car. I, I do a little bit. I work a little bit. But I thank God that he's made the heavens and the earth, and I get to enjoy stuff because he's prosperous towards me. It's just, it's not do you have or do you not. It's just a different mindset. I thank God in all things, in all circumstances. I have nice things. Why? I have a heavenly father who loves to give good gifts. Give to the poor. Verse, 30, verse 33, this is Jesus' conclusion to uh, seek the kingdom. Sell what you have and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven, and the purses of heaven have no holes in them. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it, and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will also be. Why, we, why don't we give to the poor? Because we think it's all ours. I earned it. Why am I going to give something to someone over there who hasn't earned it or deserved it? I've worked hard for my money. But wait a minute. Everything comes from God. I see that my income is a blessing from God, I'm more likely to pass on that blessing because I don't, I don't deserve this. I don't really earn it. I, to, to be really frank and blunt, I deserve hell and nothing more. But God still pours his blessings and abundance upon me so I would feel that I have to pass it on because I know my God is a loving father. Also, if I want to thank God, how do I do it? Jesus taught that if you go to the prison, you're visiting him. When you feed the hungry, you are feeding him. When you give to the poor, you are giving to him. How do I give back to God? I give to the poor. In him I live and breathe. God has blessed me. I'm just going through these quickly. Andy Stanley says this, Greed is the assumption that it is all for my consumption. Greed is the assumption that my paycheck is all for my consumption. It's a gift from God, and I'm going to honor God by giving back to him. How else? Be generous. Yeah. Buy someone a coffee. If someone, if someone borrows a five or a ten pound off you, 
don't chase it back. There is a really interesting Bible verse here. I'm going because of time. Jesus said this, I tell you, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Wow. In this way, your generosity stores up a reward in heaven. Now, if Jesus hadn't said that and someone told me that, I'd have told them to get out of here. That's manipulation. But Jesus tells you, use your worldly resources. Use what you have. Use your house. Use your bank account. Use, use anything to hand to what? To sow into other people's lives. Why? Because it then brings treasure in heaven, but also brings favor in this lifetime. The context, I'll let you go and read that at home. The context of Luke 16 is the shrewd manager. And Jesus says, use your things you have to buy favor. Next thing, very quickly, tithing. What does tithing do? It's the first fruits. So of the first fruit of my pay packet, I give back to God. Why? Because really he deserves 100% of it. But I'm trusting him that I can, I can do better on 90% if I give away 10% first yeah. to him. And the way we teach it in this church, that is to your local church. If we're not your local church, don't give it to us. Give it to your local church. Um, I do it by standing order so that I don't forget. As soon as the money comes in, my, my account, it goes out the next day into the, into the funds. For my case, it's a bit of a circle, but we'll forget about that. Um, <laughs> next one. Give time. Sabbath. Sabbath. What is Sabbath? It's, it comes all the way from the Garden of Eden, and, and God said take, he took a rest and says, you take a rest. It's, it's, again, putting faith in God that he can do more in six days with you taking a day off for him than you can do in seven days on your own. It's, it's a test of faith. Let me just read Isaiah 58 to you. Because I believe everyone should have a day off. And I know my, my wife will be telling, yes, Chris, you should have a day off. Isaiah 58. Because Sabbath is not just about having time for yourself. There's a biblical principle. Sabbath is for you. That's what Jesus told us. But it's not just about taking a holiday. Verse 13. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable and honor it, detesting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will delight in the Lord. What is Isaiah saying about Sabbath? It's desisting from your own ways, not seeking your own pleasure and not speaking your own word. Sabbath isn't just a day off. Giving time to God is not just, I'm just going to take a, a day off. It's doing what he wants. One of the ways you can give time back to God is, is to serve in this church, like one of the stewards or, one, or, or the children's work, or to give your time to a soup kitchen somewhere, anywhere where you sow into someone else's life. Yeah. There is a danger in our society, and it goes along like this. You need some time off for yourself to just recuperate for yourself and to look upon yourself and gaze internally. Now, to, it, to an extent, that is the correct thing to do, and it's often the right thing to do. And, you, and you, people in here may have had doctors tell them to do that. But the problem with it is when you seek your own desires and you seek your own way and you s seek to fulfill your own life with your own pleasures, it's never enough. It's never enough. What does Jesus say? Seek first his kingdom not your kingdom. I'm not saying you shouldn't take time out. What I'm saying is it can be a trap. 
a trap of a downward spiral. Because the more you look at yourself, the more you go down. The more you look at yourself, the more you need to feed yourself some self-approval. And you end up in a worse state than you were in the first place. Whereas if you seek first the kingdom of God, he will give you life. So that I, I get it on a Sunday. I know people come here and, and, and some people coming here and they're saying, I need this. I need to be in the service. I need to be taught. It, it's time for me to get some word for myself and some, and some experience for myself, some God for myself. And for some of us, that is exactly the right thing to do. But I would suggest for most of us, the Bible says it's better to give than to receive. It's better to give than to receive. And God is a rewarder of those who seek him. I would suggest to, if you're feeling down, maybe the best thing to do, and the stewards are going to hate me this, maybe join the stewarding team. As in, I come to church and I'm, not, I'm giving out. I'm giving for other people. My focus has become off my needs and what I need and what I want onto how can I serve others? How can I be a ser- serve others? What did Jesus do? He came to serve, not to be served. And if we have an attitude that I'm going to serve one another above my own needs, which is what Jesus did and told us to do, I reckon we could solve a lot of the down days and the miserable days because as you sow into other people's lives, God will reward you with life itself. The other thing I would say is devotional. Having a devotional time is not about learning the Bible back to front, although that's a good thing to do. But actually encounter God and seek him. It's about seeking him, not my own knowledge, not so that I can be a preacher, not so that I can show off on my next Bible study, not so that I can tick a a chart off on the wall like I do when I read a book of the Bible. That's not the point. The point is to seek him, to meet with him. And when I seek him, Lammy, can you just come on guitar? When I seek him, can the whole band actually, we're going to do this very quick. When I seek him, he fulfills all my needs. So we're going to do that. So I quite quickly ask the band back. We're just going to spend five minutes and we're going to seek God in the presence, in his presence. We're going to sing to him. We're going to worship him. I'd love us to, to sing that Love Never Fails song if we can. Why are we doing this? Because when we seek God, he fulfills all our needs. Now, some of you, you will come in here this morning and you may have some sickness or you may have a problem or an issue you need to solve or you may be, I don't know why I put it right forward, you may be facing bankruptcy or you may be sorting any number of troubles. Maybe there's a problem in your marriage. I'm just about to give you a solution that can solve it. James already mentioned it. When we seek the first the kingdom, we have all that we need. It's something that happens. I'm not saying every I will be dotted and every T crossed. I'm not saying that necessarily the problem will be solved in these next five minutes. But what I'm saying is God will give you the life and the strength so, and, and give you the insight so that you can walk the journey this week. Are, are, you, are you getting me? But for some of you, there may be a miracle just about to happen as you seek his presence and as you worship him and give a sacrifice of praise, give everything that you have to him and allow him to fill you, him to change your thoughts, him him to, to change the way you think.